What's up, guys? Welcome back to another Sport Universe podcast. It's me, Brian. I'm German Nick. What's going on, guys? And Max. Hello, everybody. And Ian for the second week. Hey, how y'all doing? Okay, so we got a lot to talk about. We're going into other sports this week. We're going to talk a little boxing with Jake Paul. Totally knocking out Nate Robinson, um, Mike Tyson, obviously, and Roy Jones. Um, we're going to start with some football, then do some baseball, and how it usually goes. All right, hand it over today. Got it. So this week, uh, again, a lot of news to go through, a lot of NFL news to cover alone. So I'm going to try to go through these games as quick as possible. Uh, a lot of games that were pretty lopsided this week. So starting off with our first game, we had the Houston Texans versus the Lions. Uh, Texans take this one big, 41 to 25. We saw an explosion of a game of uh, the Texans, you know, across the board. They were incredible on offense, especially um, later in the game. They were, they were really good. Look at the scoring somewhere here. Here we go. Yeah, I couldn't remember exactly what quarters they scored in, but they had a huge fourth quarter explosion. They were pretty good in the first and second quarters. Um, but going to the actual statistics side of things, we had Sean Watson, four touchdowns, zero interceptions, 318 yards, 150.4 QBR. Excellent game out of him. And as I said, Will Fuller, great game, 171 yards and six receptions, two touchdowns. Um, pretty abysmal job by the Lions here. Um, as a result, we then saw a firing, finally, of Matt Patricia, and Quinn, uh, GM for the Lions, which me and Max have been recommending for the Lions for the past about year and a half now, two years. Uh, so it's about time they got they have gone. Uh, so we'll have to see. I think their offensive coordinator is the interim head coach there for the Lions. Um, from the Lions, you, you got to go with a complete rebuild here. Uh, and I wouldn't center it around Matt Stafford. They've centered a rebuild around him like four or five times now. And I just think they're in position to really rebuild around him. Uh, essentially, you need to drop nearly the entire – uh, roster, in my opinion, uh, besides, you know, your young core, TJ Hawkinson, uh, he, um, I can't be blanking out on names right now, but yeah, TJ Hawkinson, uh, Swift. Kenny Golden. Uh, yeah, there we go. There we go. Um, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, pretty big win here by the uh, Texans, 41-25, Max. Yeah, yeah. Was, Texans definitely uh, dominated uh, this one. And it's not even like they really looked that great. It just – I thought the Lions really just looked bad and it just – comes to co- down to coaching and discipline, really, because, you know, I remember I was tweeting all during that game. I'm looking at my Twitter right now. I guess one of my tweets was two turnovers on two consecutive plays. Nice job, Lions. Lions have three timeouts and don't use them until fourth down. Like, And then they get – I remember, like, later in the game, I think it was the fi- – I think it might have been the final touchdown for the Texans. I could be wrong there, but it was like – it kind of looked – it was like a run play that wasn't going anywhere, but then they did it – made it turn into, like, a sort of flea flicker play – and the Lions just got totally burned on it. It's just like, how do you let that happen? It, I, and, yeah, I don't even have to explain anymore at this point. I've been advocating this whole time for Matt Patricia to be gone. He's gone, but I think he's honestly far from – he's not He's not the biggest issue. Let me say that again. He's not the only issue on that team. There are far bigger issues. The ownership group is just terrible. They've been there for a while. They've never been really that good under them. It's just one of those things where, like I've said, from the top down, your organization has to be really good, and they're terrible. So in order to really have more hope, they got to just clean house. 100%. And as I was texting Max when this game was happening, the Lions have had the same owner since, I think, 1961. Not yeah. exactly the same owner. The owner had passed, and the wife took over, and I believe it's in the daughter's hands now. Uh, but that family just has not done a good job at managing this entire franchise. And I think – uh, in beneficiary for the team, it'd, it'd be best if they, that family was to sell the team to give it to somebody who is more capable of running it. 
Um, not a hit on the daughter or the family to just they did not not done a good job as owners. Um, and then secondary to that, Patricia will likely find a job elsewhere in the NFL. He's not done in the NFL. He was really good defensive coordinator under Bill Belichick. Um, whether it's Belichick or Patricia, uh, you're probably leaning more Belichick. But uh, you know he was so successful with the Patriots, he likely will find another job, uh, probably as a defensive coordinator. And then in addition to this, because the Texans did so well. Um, they did get, I believe, drug tested right after this game. And I know Will Fuller got received a six-game suspension for uh, not exactly PED use, but it was essentially a medication that he was not supposed to be taking under NFL rules. So he's going to serve a six-game suspension as a result. And he's one of the better uh, receivers uh, in the league, let alone for the top receiver for the Texans. So that's kind of a loss for them. They're 4-7. and seven. If everything pans out, they could make the playoffs. But Will Fuller, missing Will Fuller is definitely going to make it harder for them. I also spent six games with a similar thing. Where I don't know if you're going to say that, but this kind of looks suspicious. Like, what were they using? And is the doctor who prescribed these things, is he to blame maybe for this? Yeah, Will Fuller did put out, I believe, a he was he announced it before the NFL did, put it on his Instagram that he trusted a certain doctor that he wouldn't give him a banned substance, and he did. Uh, so it does question the fact, you know, two players in the same team uh, who had a really good performance this past week. Uh, both come down with suspensions due to illegal substance. Uh, does make you question what was the substance and what's the deal there. Um, for the interest of time, we're going to move on, though. Uh, Washington, we, Washington we, we had Washington and the Cowboys. Uh, Washington absolutely destroys the Cowboys 41-16 to here. Um, you know, how much to talk about, but other than this Cowboys team, it's just looking really, really bad since the loss of Dak Prescott. Uh, across the board, just poor performance defense offensively. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know what to say there. Andy Dalton should be doing better there. Alex Smith, another game where he managed decently. Nothing incredible. One touchdown, one interception, 149 passing yards. Andy Dalton, roughly the same stats, one touchdown, one interception, 215 passing yards. Not a great game by Ezekiel Elliott. Uh, best player on the Cowboys is Mari Cooper, 112 yards and a touchdown. Um, on the Redskins, though, we Antonio Gibson explode for three touchdowns, 115 yards. He was pretty good. Uh, Terry McLaurin is always 92 yards. Uh, Logan Thomas had had a nice receiving touchdown, um, so that, that was good for him. He also had a, a pass during that game. Uh, I don't know what's happening to these Cowboys, but they quickly were the favorites to win the division, and now they're last place and likely going to remain in last place for the rest of the season. Uh, something by the loss of Dak Prescott. Um, it, it screams to me that there's issues beyond just losing Dak Prescott to that team. Should should perform better than they are, in my opinion. I think they have enough talent to, to do so, especially on offense. Um, and they're not doing so. I, again, it leads me more and more to think McCarthy really isn't the answer long term for the Cowboys. Yeah, I think yeah, 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 yeah. he's really looked out of this element, you know. And even with the injuries they've had, especially to Dak Prescott, the offense really still just looks out of sync. I don't know how that happens. Like Andy Dalton's not the best quarterback. He's pretty average in the grand scheme of things, maybe a little below. But with that great of a supporting cast, all these skill position players, you got to think that. They should be able to put up some points, and no, they just don't do it. They're they're near the bottom of the league, I think. I don't know exactly sets, but they must be near the bottom of the league in terms of points for since Dak's injury, and I just don't get it. And I also one of the plays in the game was the Cowboys. Was, for them, it was fourth down, and they ran a fake, but it was some end around. They didn't even cross line of scrimmage, like just horrible play calling, no execution, obviously. I think I've said this a few weeks on the podcast. I don't, I've not been a fan of the job Mike McCarthy's doing, and this game has just proved it. And I, and they, I feel like this one of those things. This experiment could be over 
really before it gets underway. It looks like he'll probably make it to the end of this year, but I mean, it's not really exactly enough time to establish yourself. And I don't really think he's earned the, the, the privilege to really get a second chance because the team has just looked so bad around them. Mm-hmm. Really bad for the Cowboys there. Um, so next game we had was the Chargers and the Bills. Bills won this one 27-17. Bills 8-3, Chargers 3-8. Not much of a surprise here. Uh, Josh Allen, not as good as a typical game you'd expect out of him. One touchdown, one reception, 157 yards. Cole Beasley had a nice wide receiver pass for a touchdown. Um, solid in his part. Uh, again, not not much of a win, not of a great win here for the Bills, but again, not not really anything out of the blue here. They kind of had to scratch and claw this one to get it. Uh, Justin Herbert, one touchdown, one reception, 316 yards. Um, Justin Herbert, you know, solid game out of him. Typical rookie, solid performance out of him. Uh, to me, he looks more and more to me as the rookie of the year, and I do think he will end up at that as that uh, by the time the end of the year is over. Um, other than that, again, the Chargers team is kind of in the middle right now. They're still rebuilding. Um, but they're looking solid, you know, 17 and 27 is not a terrible uh, loss to the Bills. Lots to look forward to as a Chargers fan in the Bills, eight and three. Pretty solid team there. I am curious to see where they're going to go. Uh, I think they will make the playoffs, obviously. You know, it's pretty much between them and the Dolphins. Uh, I think they're going to win the division. I just question how far they will go in the playoffs at this point. Yeah, I really don't know about this game here. I think went pretty much as expected. You know, the Bills were going to win by a decent amount. I didn't think we we're going to blow them out because the Chargers – know how to compete in games and they can score points. So really not much else to say besides one thing I'm going to talk about is Austin Eckler got the re- was returning from his injury. He played on Sunday and I, in less than 24 hours notice, I didn't find out till like two o'clock on Saturday. The game was at 12 my time. And I didn't find out till like a few hours, like two or three o'clock that Eckler was going to be activated off IR, but he came, he came out and he had put together a really good game showing really what a good player he is. I really think he's one of the more underrated players in the league. I haven't said this here, but I've been sick discussing with my friends and other people. I really like Austin Eckler a lot and him coming back from an injury, having a really, really good game like that. You know, just without even really much notice that he's going to play shows really how good of a player he is. I totally agree there. Um, you know, it looks smarter and smarter. The fact that the Chargers let uh, Gordon walk, um, and you have Eckler. I think, you know, running backs are pretty expendable in the NFL. Uh, a situation like Eckler definitely shows where you can find talent out of a lot of guys at the running back position in the NFL. Um, and with how likely they are to get injured, uh, definitely saves them a lot of money in, in terms of the contract they're going to have to pay Gordon. Uh, but Austin Eckler, really solid guy, um, really good running back. Uh, moving on from there, we had the Browns and the Jaguars. Uh, pretty rough game for the Browns here. Another game where they kind of had to claw and scratch. Again, this Browns team... Uh, you know, they, they win it 27 to 25 and they moved eight and three. Uh, I just question how far they are going to go in the playoffs. You know, this Jaguars team one and 10, they have Mike Glennon of all people starting a quarterback, but a really solid game against, against them, two touchdowns, 102.9 QBR, 235 yards. Um, then James Robinson, who's been really good for the Jaguars all year, 128 yards and a touchdown. I just questioned, you know, how far will this, this Browns team go? Uh, you know, uh, running, running wise, they're doing excellent. We talked about it last week on the podcast. Uh, Nick Chubb, 144 yards and a touchdown. You had Kareem Hunt, uh, 62 yards. That, that running back duo is incredible. The run game they've produced uh, for the Browns this year has been really good under Stefanski. I just question how far they're going to go. If they only win by two points against a team like the Jaguars, who are you know next to the Jets, the top two worst teams in, in the league, uh, it's not a great game for them. And, and you know, I think Bigger Manfield had a solid game, 250 yards, two touchdowns, uh, zero interceptions. Not bad. It's just uh, I think as a whole, this team is just I, I don't know what they're lacking specifically. 
He's also Jarvis, Jarvis Landry, 143 yards and a touchdown. Uh, I can't really pinpoint what they're lacking specifically. It's just uh, they're not they're not beating the teams they really should by by confidently for me to say that they're going to be a really good playoff team. Um, and then they face teams that are a lot better than the Jaguars, which is absolutely going to happen they, when when and if they make the playoffs. Uh, I really question how far they're going to go. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I really wouldn't put the Browns in the upper echelon of the teams in the NFL. I think they're one of those it's right in the middle. I mean, their record is good. It's eight and three, but they're not really beating anyone by a lot. They're kind of um, just scooting by in these games against not very good teams. When they play great teams, they're getting beat up. But I, mean, I think um, Ian made a good point about the Browns last week. You know, they're finding ways, you know, to not beat themselves. You know, they're, they don't look that impressive, but they're finding a way to win these games. And some point it does come down to results and they are eight and three. So, I mean, until I, I guess you really have to, you know, prove that they're not good for us to really say that they're not a good team. I don't think they're a great team, but I mean, they have, a, they do have a really good record, but I really do think they have a, um, a test, a tough test this Sunday. I think it's going to be really telling against the Titans on the road. So I think, I think at that point, we're really going to see, you know, what this team is made of and see if, you know, our thoughts are right. But I mean, they are finding ways just to win these games regardless against these bad teams. So I guess that I guess for a good step for an organization, for a franchise like that, who's known to be terrible, it's just to find ways to win games that you should. Can I, can I have a quick comment on Baker Mayfield? Go for it. <laughs> so, you know, I, again, I watched the Browns game. I haven't missed one all season and, and I have a rational love affair with this Cleveland Browns team, probably because I like how boring Stefanski is and he doesn't beat himself. But you know, Baker Mayfield, to me, that's the answer. You asked what the Browns are exactly missing. And frankly, it's Baker Mayfield. He, he can't drop back to pass. He can't stand in the pocket and read the fields, go through his progressions, look at receiver X and Y, and then figure out a decision from there. It's It's kind of a one-trick pony. If he's not in play action, if he's not running a bootleg, he's sort of useless. And there were two moments that really showed that for me. One was on the goal line uh, where the, the Browns could have gone up two scores, I believe, at this point and really sort of, you know, start running away with the game against the Jags. And, you know, Baker missed Landry in the in the end zone where if he threw it a little bit to the outside, Landry could have made a, a nice catch in the end zone for a touchdown. And then in that same drive, he then threw it behind one of the Browns receivers when he was wide open. I mean, not a Jaguars defender within five yards of him and missed the throw. And then the second moment came where the drive that a first down closes out the game for the Browns and the Jaguars can't get the ball back. And Baker throws it behind Kareem Hunt, who was wide open with more than enough yards for the first down. And so this is my issue with Baker is that at Oklahoma, we saw him being able to make these throws. And like the biggest thing about Baker was his accuracy, was that he doesn't miss throws. And then in the NFL, if it's not off of a play action or a bootleg with him rolling out, he can't make the simple throws. And so the question is now, is Baker the franchise guy? Because he's been out. It's not like he had a bad game. He didn't throw an interception. He had two touchdowns and, you know, completion percentage decent. But then it's the subtle things. He misses the easiest plays in terms of not missing wide open guys in the end zone or hitting your running back on a dump off pass that seals the game for you by getting a first down. And so it's like, is Baker the franchise guy? If Baker can learn how to drop back and pass 
and read the field and not have to only have it on play action where he can complete a pass. I think that's a secret for the Browns that will unlock more of their offense. And when Odell gets healthy, that will then utilize Odell because that's what Eli Manning could do in New York was he could stand in the pocket and throw. And that gave time to Odell to get down the field and get open. And that's where Odell's most lethal on those long progression routes where he can make a double move, cut to the inside of the field, cut back outside and go. And so without that, you know, Baker can't Baker can't stand in the pocket and make that throw. And that's where he suffers. I, mean, I definitely agree there. One thing, a comparison that I think of is Jimmy Garoppolo for the 49ers, right? We saw them be really successful last year. Um, we saw their defense was excellent. We saw that they had weapons on offense. But looking at that Super Bowl game, we saw Jimmy Garoppolo fall short. He missed a lot of wide open reads. Um, not exactly, you know, the same court, not, not similar mechanics, but similar in team fit where it's, you know, the team's great around him, but it seems like they're lacking that that thing. And I think when you look at Super Bowl teams, they always have that that significant quarterback. The quarterback plays such a significant role. And if Baker Mayfield's only going to be subpar, it's going to hold the team back to being that really great team that they're going to be. So I definitely see what you're saying there. But again, I think we saw a similar thing kind of with the 49ers in terms of their quarterback play held them back down the stretch. Yeah. yeah. The thing I'm thinking is that with quarterback play and the way it works, you don't necessarily need a tier one quarterback to win a Super Bowl. You just need a quarterback that doesn't lose games for you. But in order to win a Super Bowl without a tier one quarterback, everyone else on the team has to be tier one. And that's the advantage of having a great quarterback is, you know, you can go cheap in terms of your secondary because, you know, your quarterback can can keep scoring. Mm. And so that's the problem that the Browns have run into now is that they have they have really great weapons everywhere else on offense. They have a great O-line. They have great skill guys. They have great running backs. But Baker is nothing but average is what it seems like. And so unless he wakes up feeling dangerous one of these days, I, I, I really worry about what will happen in the playoffs because we saw what happened to Lamar in his MVP season is that, you know, the Titans really forced Lamar to pass the ball and in, in what happened there. Yeah, I, I want to talk a little about Baker here because, you know, last year I was um, I, I was one of those people that was really not, you know, saying he was all that, at least not yet, because last year their offensive line really was not good, but they re- they replaced both their tackles this year and looked so much better, yet Baker's still not playing that great. So, that team is so dependent on the run game. And I said this a few weeks ago on the podcast, you know, in college, it kind of masked um, this because he was he was getting he was making the playoffs like every year. But I think we're seeing in the pros how like now, is he really like a winner, like the kind of guy you need? Because instead of really instead of them really making improvements on the field and trying well, we don't know what he's doing but he's not it's not really showing on the field that he's really improving as a passer yet he's out here making all these commercials you know, all the time it's just like where are your priorities almost for me you know being a closeted cleveland browns fan i'm just getting really tired of him posting on instagram posting on twitter after every game talking about not perfect going to keep grinding keep getting there and I'm like, how many times can you copy and paste the same tweet with no results? You know, it's like the guy that's always talking about in the gym and then you never see them with a six pack. It's like, how how much are you actually in the gym? And so Actions speak louder than words. Exactly. And so I'd rather have Baker uh, playing better on the field than him tweeting after every game, miss some throws, getting better, though. It's like there comes a point in time where it's just lip service. 
All right, so the next game we have is the Titans and the Colts. I don't have much to say about it other than Phillip Rivers has a noodle arm. Um, two touchdowns, one interception, 995 yards. I think it's a little deceiving of how bad he has been, I think, in terms of his arm talent. I think the Colts are really just one quarterback away from being a really, really good team. Uh, Titans won this one 45-26. Sorry, didn't mention that. Titans won 8-3, both 7-4. Uh, Derrick Henry is an incredible game, 178 yards, 30 and three touchdowns. Um, A.J. Brown, uh, 98 yards, one touchdown. Uh, I'm going to hand it over to Max, so he's definitely got a lot more to say. Yeah, I thought this was the most complete game that the Titans have played all year. And even with that victory we had against the Bills on that Tuesday night game, I thought this was better, and I'll explain why. So the offense, that obviously carried the load in this game. Derrick Henry, um, we know how good he is, He can how he can just run all over defenses, but this was unbelievable, especially in the first half, because we were seeing when he would get the ball, just the holes he would have were just crazy. He would... And honestly, that's a lot to do with the offensive line right there. They were just pushing around the Colts. Even without DeForest Buckner, it was crazy. And, and it, it, they just couldn't stop Henry whatsoever. And and also the, the um, passing game made an impact too. Ryan Tannehill had not the best game, but he really didn't need much with, with what Derrick Henry was doing. And he was still efficient. He had a passer rating of 108.3. And probably his best play of the game was when late in the first half, he found Corey Davis on a big fourth down conversion. It was a pass over the middle for like 50 yards. I, it was crazy that we took that kind of risk with that play, but we got it. And then he, Tannehill would get a rushing touchdown. AJ Brown had another really good game and his touch, the touchdown he got was a 69 yard touchdown run after catch. And he just proved that he continued to prove he's one of the best um, yards after catch players in the league. And then on defense, on defense, I really think this is where the team really, um, played the most, where they really showed how complete this game was because this defense really has not been good all year. They've been getting torched. It's been really painful to watch, but this game, they were honestly, besides the first two drives, they were relentless. Looking at the three areas of the team that were really holding defense and really holding them back, third down, um, not the best. We, um, it was stop seven, Titans stopped seven out of 12 conversions, but they really got better as the game went on which was really good to see secondary. I thought played well. And I thought the biggest difference made in that, um, in that department was when they played a lot more press coverage instead of loose coverage, which I I've been saying would work since the last time we played the Colts. I've been saying we, they need to do that more often. They did that this game more often and paid off. And even the pass rush was getting home a little bit too. They were a good amount of pressures, got two sacks on the day. Overall, I, I was really, really happy with the performance. It just goes to show that in a game like this backs were against the wall Titans would have lost this. They would have essentially had no chance for the AFC, AFC South crown. They would have lost the double header. They would have lost two games to the Colts. It would, Colts would have definitely ha- would have had the head to head record over them. And then with a better record, then it would have been with the, with the better record that they would have had if they won this game with the head to head advantage, it would have been really tough for the Titans to get back in the, in first place, but no, they went in there. They played such a good game. Um, yeah. I don't really know what else to say. It just, this team showed it me once again. They know how to win. And I'm not going to go ahead and say that we're, you know, surefire Super Bowl contenders or anything, but I think we're a tough team, but really can play with most teams. And I think, you know, this game really showed that we never really truly lost our identity. And then additionally to that, um, we talked a little bit before the podcast started. Uh, Quasenberry came back. He he had cancer, I believe, a couple of years ago. 
uh, finally started in his first game back after beating cancer. Uh, congratulations to Boston Berry. Not much else to talk about there. Um, we The next game we had was the Giants and the Bengals. Giants skinned this one out alive, uh, beating the Bengals 19-17. I, You know, I, this, this Giants team it somehow is in first place in the NFC East, and I don't know how they are, um, but they somehow did it. Um, and honestly, it's, it's I think the Bengals really lost themselves this game. Brandon Allen, watching him play against the Giants, he was awful. I mean, uh, one of the worst quarterback – you know, I think we saw a couple terrible, terrible quarterback performances this week. Um, Brandon Allen is definitely on that list. Uh, one touchdown, one interception for 136 yards, and those numbers are deceiving. Um, but he nailed so many Giants defenders in the chest that they wound up dropping the ball. Uh, it's pretty incredible. Uh, you know, again, Brandon Allen, definitely not the answer there in Cincinnati with Joe Burrow being gone. They need Joe Burrow back. They're going to be competitive again. On the Giants side of things, uh, Daniel Jones went down with a hamstring injury, 213 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions, 92.5 QBR. Colt McCoy comes in. He was nearly as bad as Brandon Allen, uh, 31 yards passing, uh, 6 for 10, 65.2 QBR. Uh, pretty abysmal game there for Colt McCoy. Um it's to be seen what happens to Daniel Jones. Apparently, it's a minor hamstring injury. I've heard rumors it's bad. Really mixed reports. I think he's going to be fine based on how he came back into the game during the game, even though he had to go out again uh, due to the injury just nagging him that much. Um, but other than that, we had rushing. We had Wayne Gallman, who's been really consistent for the Giants. I think he's had six touchdowns since he's he came in over uh, Saquon Barkley. You know, 94 yards, one touchdown for him this week. Uh, really solid game out of him. Evan Ingram, 129 yards, which is also deceiving. I think Evan Ingram is awful. Uh, he, had, he had this play. He, first of all, he dropped a couple passes. He had one, two big plays on the day, which he does about every season. He has a couple big plays and then nothing but drops and fumbles. Uh, he had caught like a little curl route over the middle, I think, or something like that. Um, go Catches the ball, goes to fall down. And as he's falling down, he gets the, the ball punched out. And it's just like you were falling down. Just get down. Like, how do you fumble when you're going down to the ground? You know, even though we won and we're in first place in the NFC East, we're not going to win a playoff game if we do the make, make the playoffs by some stretch of a miracle. Um, and if Daniel Jones doesn't come back, we're definitely not going to make the playoffs. Uh, Max, do you have any comments about this game? And not yeah. that. This one was, was where two bad teams get together with injuries you expect, not great football, and we didn't get great football. So, yeah. Yeah, um, and then going after that, uh, we had the Dolphins and the Jets. No surprise here. Dolphins won the 20-3. to three. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick doing okay for the Dolphins, 7-4, second place in their division. Jets own 11, pretty much have locked in uh, the first pick, so they're going to get Trevor Lawrence. Uh, Sam Darnold has been pretty abysmal this season. Um, you know, I don't think there's much else to say there, Max. Uh, Max or one Ryan. Thing say, um, one thing I wanted to say was – so. Everyone's been talking about how Sam Darnold um, hasn't had his full cast of characters to play a game with, and this was his full cast of characters to play a game with, except for an offensive line, but I don't know when the Jets are ever going to have a good offensive line. Um, he had his full cast of characters, really didn't show any improvement in my opinion. So I think it's starting to become very obvious that Sam Darnold is not going to be the quarterback that we thought he was going to be. It could be that the Jets ruined him, which is fair. They ruin most things. Um, and so I, I still don't have confidence in Sam Darnold. I think that just this game shows it even more. Yeah, you guys have said what I would say here. 
And then that being said, the Jets are now 0-11. If the Jaguars win one game, it's pretty much locked in. The Jets get the first overall pick. And as Brian said, you know, Sam Darnold, two interceptions on the day, not even 100 passing yards, how he's played. Uh, the Jets have to take Trevor Lawrence with that first overall pick if, if they do get it, and it's seeming more and more likely that they will. Uh, moving on from there, we have the Atlanta Falcons versus the Raiders. Uh, Falcons win it 43-6 to in a complete dominating fashion. Falcons win a 4-7. Uh, since firing Quinn, they've just been you know up and down, but it's, this game is very, very impressive out, out of uh, the Falcons here. Uh, you know, touchdowns all around. We had a touchdown from Edo Smith uh, rushing-wise, receiving touchdown by Ridley, receiving touchdown by Powell. Um, you know, just overall really, really good performance here uh, by the Falcons and the Raiders kind of fall apart really badly. Uh, Derek Carr, zero touchdowns, one interception, 215 yards. Uh, Josh Jacobs, only 27 yards in the day, goes down with an ankle injury. Uh, apparently it's an ankle sprain. They're not really sure what's up with that. I haven't heard any uh, updated reports on that. Um, and outside of that, the only thing to really talk about here is, you know, again, Falcons dominated. Raiders just kind of blew the game. Wouldn't think of it too much as a Raiders fan. You know, still six and five. Um, still a rebuilding team that showed a decent amount of promise this year. Um, the one thing that is to talk about is uh, Young Ho Ku. I always struggle with this name. Um, who was, I believe he was on the Chargers. Um, I forget the team he was on. He got cut from the league. He's, an, he's one of the, I think he's either the only or one of the few Asian uh, kickers in the league. Um, was cut by the Chargers, I know. And if there was another team, I running past my mind right now, played in the AFL, comes back, signs a contract with the Falcons, and he is, by all statistical means, the best kicker in the NFL this year. I was 5-5 five five on the day, I think with 250-plus yarders on the day. Uh, really, really good kicker there for the Falcons. Nice pickup for them. Uh, Max? Yeah, this yeah. is surprising with the way this happened. You know, the Raiders coming off of last week's game where they really looked good but just barely lost to the Chiefs. I thought they'd go in and beat a Falcons team that was pretty much out of the playoffs, but he just completely fell apart. And for the Falcons, honestly, I mean, it's good that they fired Dan Quinn and it's good that they're doing better without him. But like, it's just so frustrating to see this team over the past few years. They do horrible out of the gate when the season starts. Then they actually start doing well, but it's too late for them to make up lost ground and make the playoffs. I, I just don't, this team's really got to get it together and really realize that these slow starts are really holding them back. And because they, like I said, they have talent on the field and they definitely, I would think are a playoff caliber team, but just with the way they um they start these seasons, I don't know like wh what's going on in that organization. You can't just win games now and expect things to just be all good because I don't just based on the way things have gone. I don't I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. Yeah, honestly, don't know. Um, there's time we move forward though. Uh, we had the Vikings and the Panthers. Vikings won a twenty-eight to twenty-seven after. A miraculous fourth quarter comeback. Um, Dalvin Cook goes down with a somewhat of an ankle injury. He's expected to return. Only 61 yards out of him on the day. Kirk Cousins with a really good game here. Three touchdowns, zero interceptions, 122.1 QBR, uh, 307 yards. Uh, you know, really solid game out of the out of the Vikings here. Both teams that I think are, are kind of one of the, some of the worst teams in the NFL. Uh, but the Vikings are starting to find themselves a little bit. It might be a little bit too late. And again, Panthers and how they're rebuilding. Wouldn't look too much as a Panthers fan. Um, you know, a lot of promise there still. I'm going to see if they stick up with Teddy, Teddy Bridgewater after knocker game out of him, one touchdown, one interception, 82 QBR, 267 yards. Um, and again, they're still without Christian McCaffrey. So if you're a Panthers fan, uh, you know, a lot to look forward to, I think, in terms of young talent. So it's not, 
you know, four and eight now, you're not going to make the playoffs. But, um, you know, again, a lot of talent. I think they, they have the right coach. Um, they have a lot to look forward to. And in the Viking side of things, um, five and six, I don't, I don't know if they're going to make the playoffs, but a really close win. Nice fourth quarter comeback for them. Yeah, I mean, just for the Panthers, I mean, it's a heartbreaking loss. But, I mean, as we said many times, the goals from not this year. So, really, it doesn't matter that much. For the Vikings, I mean, I've said this team is good. They have talent. They're actually – they're on a good streak. But you just have to be more consistent because they lost to the Cowboys last week who were all but out of it. And they almost – they I guess you could make the argument they should have lost this game to another team that's out of the playoffs. It's like, I mean, we know this team is good, but they just have to really – to find that consistency if they really want to come back and make the playoffs because with six losses, they pretty much have to win out from here on out. So I just, I just don't really, I haven't seen, I haven't seen enough from this team to really make me think they're really going to come back and grab that final playoff spot. Um, totally. So um, moving on from there, we had the Patriots and the Cardinals. Uh, Patriots wound up winning at 20 to 17 on a 50 plus yarder. Um, you know, Cardinals have slowly fell. Um, at this point, I really don't know if they're going to be a playoff team. The Cardinals, uh, they've really struggled down the stretch here. Um, you know, Kyler Murray, zero touchdowns, one interception, uh, 170 yards in the day. Kenyon Drake, that's spectacular in terms of rushing 78 yards, but a uh, solid two touchdowns out of him. Again, I think this Cardinals team, I think they overperformed, especially at the beginning of the year this year. And they've kind of meld out to where I think they would be. I thought they'd be like a six and five team. They'd be kind of an even team. Again, a lot of young talent there. I don't think the Cardinals have really even got the most out of Isaiah Simmons, their rookie. Um, I think Isaiah Simmons is really talented, and I think he'll get better and better as time goes on, and he learns the game better, and he finds his position in the NFL. And he's going to be a defensive leader, I think, one day with the athletic capabilities that he has. Um, and, again, I think the Cardinals are still finding themselves. They're still young. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins, you know, he's going to be there still. You know, a lot of things to look forward to as a Cardinals fan, even though they've kind of fell to 6-5 and five at this point. Um, on the Patriots side of things, you know, after starting the season two and five, um, they're now five and six, you know, you know, going three and one in the past four games. Pretty solid there. Again, I think all goes on the coaching of Bill Belichick. Um, what this game did tell me, I think it's really evident that Cam Newton is not the long-term solution uh, for the Patriots. Uh, 84 yards, zero touchdowns, two interceptions, 26.4 QBR. Uh, not great out of him. Um, you know, both teams really struggled here as a really competitive game, but I just – I think Cam Newton has consistently throughout this year and throughout his career been you know, consistently be too inconsistent. Um, if that makes any sense, he's just been too inconsistent. Uh, and uh, another game here, he's just pretty bad. Uh, you know, with the Patriots, I think they can go really far with the coaching they have in Belichick, but they need a solid quarterback. And Cam Newton just hasn't been that quarterback to me. Yeah, I think you know, starting with the Cardinals, I really I like this team a lot, and I do like Kyler Murray a lot. I think he's really got. Great future ahead of him, but he ahead of him, but he really has to find that consistency. I mean, you're he has that. I think we've seen he has that clutchness about him with the way they won in week one against the 49ers. They came back against the Seahawks and then the whole um thing with the Hail Mary against the, the Bills. But you just yeah, he just has to find that consistency about him because it's hard to be a really, really great quarterback in this league without consistency and you know, I think the, the Pats the whole, as a team this year they've really struggled with consistency and which is strange to say because Belichick is such a good coach but like it's kind of the way they've been the whole year and you know they go 
they lose to the Texans last week after beating the Ravens the week before, but then they come and win this game. I, I just don't get it. I feel like the Patriots are the epitome of consistently inconsistent because they go out and compete and almost and sometimes beat good teams, but then they lose and look horrible against bad teams. I, I just don't know. I, I still don't know what's up with these guys. Yeah, again, I think it's similar to the Baker Mayfield situation, similar with uh, the 49ers where you have the, you have that quarterback playing. It's just so inconsistent that you know, quarterback being such a crucial role in the team that it really holds the team back. And I think that's one of the roots of the cause, you know, beyond the fact that the, they are a better team with a lot of people that opted out. Um, and I think it's Cam Newton has been so inconsistent this year, uh, similar to, again, the rest of his career that it's really held the Patriots back down the stretch. Um, and they've kind of win. They've won despite the, the play of Cam Newton. Um, and the fact that they had him on a one-year contract for so short, is a good idea. It's really good for them. And I do expect the Patriots to probably go really high in this next draft in terms of they're going to trade for or the first pick that they have, they're going to get a quarterback. Um, wouldn't be surprised if that happened. Um, so going on from there, uh, we had the 49ers and the Rams. A pretty similar game in terms of kind of back and forth. Jared Goff, pretty abysmal. Two interceptions, 198 yards, 58.5 QBR. Uh, I said this since I think the, the day they – since like the second year that Goff's been in the league. I've always seen golf as more of a game manager type of player. Nothing spectacular. You know, Jimmy Garoppolo, Baker Mayfield-esque. I think it really showed against here against a, a solid 49ers defense. Um, and those side of things, you had Cam Akers rushing for 84 yards and a touchdown. So, solid game out of him. Uh, Robert was 84, uh, 80 yards receiving. Um, pretty solid out of him. And on the 49ers side of things, Nick Mullen is still in for Garoppolo. Um, Raheem Mostert returns, 43 yards and a touchdown for him. Hope he does better next week. He is in my fantasy league league and we're getting to the playoffs so um Debo Samuel also 133 yards um so you know again wins 49ers win this game on a kick 23 to 20 49ers 5 and 6 likely not going to make the playoffs but the and the Rams are 7 and 4 now uh, that division's really tight I don't think the 49ers are going to make the playoffs the Rams still have a shot and if they do want a shot they cannot lose games like this to the 49ers team that's kind of brutal uh, so, so brutally kind of injured Across the board, they really need to win games like this. Um, so it's a tough loss for the Rams, for sure. Yeah, um, it's weird to think that the 49ers honestly just have the Rams number this year because we saw, I can't remember what week it was, but the um, they um, they beat them 22-7 after having a, um, just not looking great for the past few weeks at that time. And then they, they turn a really great performance and kind of the same thing here where they almost lose, but kind of shut down the Rams for most of the time this game. I really think a lot of this speaks to um, how good of a defensive coordinator Robert Sala is, you know, even with the injuries they've had, there've been a lot of times and this game was a perfect example where they've turned in really great performances. And I really think he should be one of the um, top head coaching candidates going into next year for teams that have a vacancy. I definitely agree. In the interest of time, I'm going to move on. We have the New Orleans Saints versus the Broncos. Um, Saints won 31 to three. Saints are now nine and two. Broncos four and seven. On the Saints side of things, um, Taysom Hill to me pretty much proves it this week that he is not the answer, in my opinion, uh, long term at the quarterback position for the Saints. Uh, definitely a guy that I want to keep on the roster in terms of utility, man. Um, passing wise, nine for 16, 78 yards and an interception, 46.4 QBR. I'm just not seeing the, the in terms of the passing play out of Taysom Hill. I'm just not seeing it in terms of a long term quarterback. Uh, but rushing-wise, I think it's where the Saints really made up in this game. Tavius Murray, 124 yards, two touchdowns, and we also saw Taysom Hill run in two touchdowns. Again, 
he, the fact that Taysom Hill rushed in for two touchdowns but had no passing touchdowns interception tells me, again, great utility guy, uh, great in the right situations, but I don't think he's a starting quarterback from that moving forward. Um, you know, maybe until Drew Brees returns, maybe they might go James Winston. Um, you know, they've had success under Taysom Hill. They, my, my inclination gives me that they're not going to switch off a of Hill, but I just don't think he's the long-term answer there in terms of after Drew Brees does retire. Um, and on the Broncos side of things, uh, pretty abysmal week for them. Not that they had much control over it. Uh, so essentially, Drew Locke and every quarterback in the quarterback room for the Denver Broncos, um, either I, they didn't catch COVID, but they were exposed to it because they were in a quarterback room without their masks off. As a result, they all had a quarantine, and every single quarterback on the Denver Broncos roster was then barred from playing in the game. Broncos didn't really have time to sign a quarterback. Um, that it go through their, to their wide receiver Kendall uh, Kendall Hinton. Uh, was pretty abysmal at quarterback. Um, didn't know what anybody else really expected here. Uh, not really a traditional – he's a wide receiver. Hasn't played quarterback, I think, from what I've heard. He played at Wake Forest um, for a couple games, um, and then they benched him, and he hasn't really played quarterback since really high school. Um, he was one for nine, 11.1% completion percentage, 13 touchdowns and uh, 13 yards touchdowns and two interceptions. So very, very bad out of the passing for the Broncos, but I don't know what you expected there. Uh, just a pretty awful season in terms for the Broncos between injuries and COVID uh, really hit them hard this week. I'm assuming they're going to find an interim quarterback because I think they, I don't know if they're going to have to, they're all their quarterbacks going to have to miss next game. I think they are. And in that case, they're going to find an interim quarterback. I don't think they're going to stay with Kendall Hinton. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I'm with you. I really don't have much to say about this game. The Saints are just did they usually do? They don't really blow you away too much, but they find a way to win. They did here, and for the Broncos, I mean, yeah, what do you expect? Getting your your um, wide receiver, um, who's only who's the only guy really has any experience playing quarterback. You bring him onto the roster. He doesn't know the players. He doesn't get any reps. Yeah, I just yeah. Yeah. With that being said. Uh, next game we have is the Chiefs Buccaneers. Chiefs win this one 27 to 24. Chiefs moved to 10 and 1. Buccaneers moved to 7 and 5. Honestly, almost a solid comeback by the Bucs here. Uh, really, really solid game management, uh, game management by Tom Brady. Um, this game to me, I think it's one of the best games that Tom Brady has ever had. And let me get to explain to you why I think that. Watching him play, he just I, in terms of you know they were they were down really bad against against this Chiefs team you know down um, twenty to seven at one point um, it was just really abysmal you know they saw the Chiefs you know starting off with the Chiefs side of things Patrick Mahomes uh, four hundred sixty two yards three touchdowns on seventy five percent point five percent completion one hundred thirty five point four QBR excellent excellent game out of him and an absolute explosion by Tyree Kill in the first quarter he had over two hundred yards in the first quarter finished with two hundred sixty nine yards and three touchdowns he was torching. The Buccaneers defense left and right, um, and really pushed Tom Brady in that offense against their back. And I saw Tom Brady pretty much take over, um, you know, motioning players off, calling really tight formations essentially, um, and, and motioning players over to try and pick apart this Chiefs defense, trying to pinpoint, okay, they have man on this play, okay, they're gonna have a safety over top, um, and essentially calling audibles left and right to to put up points. Um, again, that to me it speaks volumes about Tom Brady. Um, and again, I think they were severely outmatched in this, especially how inconsistent the Buccaneers have been this this year. You saw them get blown out by the Saints. Tom Brady really took an initiative here. You know, he finished with three touchdowns, two interceptions. Don't get me wrong, not a great game for him um, in terms of statistics. But I just think it was 
it was one of the best games he ever had in terms of really showcasing why he is and who what he's done is really indicative of Tom Brady and just his ability to really manage games and take over is really incredible. I remember this one play in particular. Um, I think Tom Brady audible about three times, uh, motioned a couple players over, uh, essentially figured out they were playing man, uh, told Gronk to run a, basically a, a streak up the seam, nails Gronk for like a nice 20-yard completion. Um, and just so the, the orchestration that it took to make that completion was really incredible. Um, so again, really good game out of Tom Brady. In addition, you had Ron Gronkowski with over 100 yards. Um, you had Mike Evans with two touchdowns. He's really been a really great red zone threat for the Buccaneers this year. Uh, so again, if you're a Bucs fan, uh, nice, you know, fourth quarter, somewhat of a comeback, 14 points in the fourth quarter. Can't be too too hard on yourselves for losing to a team that's 10 and one. That is the Chiefs. Buccaneers are seven and five. Uh, it's pretty. It's going to be a tough road from here on out. But um, again, Tom Brady, pretty incredible. The Chiefs and that offense is absolutely uh, immaculate. I honestly am surprised that the Chiefs didn't win by more because I really do think they are the much better team. And I guess that kind of speaks to what you said about Brady, you know, kind of willing them back, not to a win, but just to being so close in that game. But yeah, I just really not a whole lot more to say there. I just, I really think the better team won. I just because the, you know, I really think at this point that really not many teams can keep up with the Chiefs. And we saw that even though the Bucs have a really good defense, it just goes to show how great Patrick Mahomes is that he can torch just about any defense you put against him. And talk about Tyreek Hill for a second. I don't remember if you mentioned him, but the way he how, – how many yards did he finish with? I think 269, like over, yeah, I, I did mention him. He had over 200 yards in the first quarter. Yeah, yeah, an unbelievable game out of him. So, yeah, not not really much more there. Which is great for my fantasy team because uh, 60 points almost in fantasy. Absolutely yeah. spectacular. And just finishing off on that point, I think, as you said, you're surprised the Chiefs didn't win by more. Again, I think this is all-time Brady here. If you have – the Buccaneers of right, you, you take the exact same Buccaneers team, keep everybody in the same roster, same coach, but you replace Tom Brady with James Winston, presumably if they would have kept him, right? I see the Chiefs winning this game by 50 points almost, just how amazing that defense, that offense was in the first quarter. And if you don't have somebody, a leader like Tom Brady, trying to will that team back, you're just going to fall deeper and deeper into a pit. So I think the fact that they only lost by threes strictly on Tom Brady, so a pretty incredible game out of him in that sense. Um, and then the final one of the final two games that we had played, uh, we had the Packers versus the Bears. Not much to talk about here. Aaron Rodgers, excellent game. Uh, Mitch Trubisky comes in uh, again because Nick uh, Foles is out. Uh, Trubisky's awful. Uh, noodle arm, terrible, terrible, terrible. I, I really dislike Mitch Trubisky. He makes terrible reads. Um, he, he, sometimes I feel like he gets lucky when he scores touchdowns, 242 yards, three touchdowns, two interceptions. He is not the long-term answer at, to me for the bears um they definitely got to move on from him um you know i think he's up there with the nathan petermans of the world uh pretty pretty bad quarterback other than that you had david montgomery saw a game with 103 yards but again it was all packers here four touchdowns zero interceptions out of aaron Rodgers, 211 yards um it's basically between aaron Rodgers, patrick mahomes and russell wilson for the mvp at this point where i think aaron Rodgers, in my opinion probably leads that bout um other than that i much to say here Packers win at 41 and 25. Packers eight and three. Bears five and six. Uh Bears, I don't know what they're gonna do. I think they really should clean house at the end of the day. That would be the best move for them. Get rid of Nagy, get rid of Trubisky. Um, and the Packers side of things, they have a pretty solid chance of winning the, the NFC on uh, getting first place as long as they continue to play that the way they're playing. Yeah, really surprised here. The Packers own the Bears as it is. Better team this year. As we know, and they won by a lot. And just talking about Trubisky, he really is just awful. And then 
I remember one of the throws he made was early in the game. It was it was in the first quarter. It was a deep ball where I think were, I don't remember who was there, but I think I definitely remember it was mostly Packers. But it was definitely multiple coverage on I think it was Darnell Mooney for the Bears, and then Darnell Savage was in the end zone had an easy interception. Like, what are you doing, Trubisky? Like, why do you make that throw? I, I, yeah, he's proven more than enough he's not the answer and that the Bears team has proven more than enough that they were frauds early in the year yeah just boneheaded throws by Trubisky don't let that man touch another NFL field his career is is slowly coming to a close I think in Chicago and I think they will try to move on from him and possibly select a quarterback in this next draft depending if they want to stick with Nick Foles or not with him being injured and him being subpar at best it may be an option for them um and then we have the Seahawks and the Eagles Seahawks win it uh not by much honestly uh, you see the Seahawks win 23-17. Seahawks moved 8-3. Eagles moved to 3-7-1. I think there's less to talk about the Seahawks. I just think they're not as good as they were when they started out. We've kind of seen their offense slowly start to slow down. Um, don't get me wrong. DK Metcalf, great game, 177 yards. Most yards he's ever had in a game, I think, um, career-wise, which, again, he's second year in the league. Um, great, great wide receiver. Um, but I just think that offense as a whole is starting to slow down a bit. Um, not a bad game out of them, don't get me wrong. Just slowing down in terms of they were so great at the beginning of the year and they're kind of slowing down. Uh, Russell Wilson, 230 yards, one touchdown, 110.3 QBR. Again, nothing great on the offensive side of things. I think their defense is okay. Um, the, the only reason – I think the Eagles really beat themselves here, and I think there's more to talk about there. Carson Wentz has been absolutely abysmal. Awful interception, 215 yards, two, two touchdowns. I even mentioned the interception, 76.8 QBR. At one point, I think the Eagles had put in Jalen Hurts over over Wentz, I think a play, and then they put Wentz back out there. Um, uh, just Wentz has slowly, slowly become a, a bad and worse and worse quarterback. And I just think it comes to Howie Roseman. He's got to make a move here. Your team is dying. Too, a lot of veterans, too many injuries. You're not getting any better. Um, in my opinion, you need a clear house here. If, you, if you're an Eagles fan, this is what you, you should hope for, I think. You know, take Hallie Roseman, clear house, um, get, get rid of uh, Schwartz, get rid of Peterson, get rid of Carson Wentz, you know, take what you can get for Carson Wentz. And I think uh, a rebuild is definitely possible. I think Miles Sanders was solid. Um, he only had 15 rushing yards. Again, pretty clamped down on the rushing yards, and he dropped a lot of passes too, unfortunately, um, seven yards there. Uh, he just had a lot of opportunities. You know, Miles Sanders, I think he's a really solid running back. Um, but he did, he did miss out on a lot of opportunities this game. I think he's solid. Uh, he's just going to become more consistent, which I think he may be one of the players that is willing to is worth holding on to if they do enter a rebuild. Again, the Eagles team is pretty abysmal. I think they have right now they have the talent to make the playoffs if they had the right coaching and and what's as performing as he should. Uh, but uh, the fact that they're not, I don't think this team's getting any better. I think again they have the talent right now to make the playoffs if they were coached right. But this team's definitely not getting better with how old they are, and I think. If they're not going to win now, then you got to head into a rebuild. I think it's the way to go here. Yeah, I'm honestly yeah. not all that surprised this game was close because the Seahawks, I definitely think, are the better team. But um, they um, they know how to really keep their opponents in games. I kind of expected that here. I knew I knew they get the win, but I thought it'd be close. So that really wasn't surprising me. But yeah, the Eagles really have to find a way to make things better. Carson Wentz is really just played terrible. And at this point, I don't know what you have to lose in benching when putting in Jalen Hurts, yeah, I don't know that Hurts is really going to be that guy. But if you're the Eagles and you what's going on hasn't worked the whole year, you, you got to at least see what you have. Maybe at the very least, it, that change could just give the team a spark. I don't know what they have to. 
I don't know what they're waiting for. I think it's time to make that switch and see what you have in the guy who's selected in the second round. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. You know, see what you have in Hurts. Other than that, clean house. And the final game, which hasn't been played yet, it's actually been postponed, postponed twice. We're recording this on Tuesday. Uh, Ravens, Steelers. Ravens at 6 and 4, Steelers at 10 and 0. Um, in my opinion, this is the worst possible scenario for the Ravens. You had Lamar Jackson with COVID. You're at 6 and 4. You've been pretty inconsistent this year compared to last year. You know, not the same team that they were last year. Um, this is really a game that you need to win. And I just don't think they're going to be in a position to do so. It's going to move them to 6 and 5, and Steelers are going to move to 11 and 0 here. Uh, Steelers great out the gate. I think the Steelers are going to win this one uh, pretty handily, honestly. Uh, Max, what is, your, what is your prediction? Well, let me say this. The Ravens, it, they couldn't be in a worse spot right now. They have a bunch of guys on COVID, the COVID list, including Lamar Jackson, going against their rival, the Steelers, who are 11-0, backs against the wall. No reason to think that they're going to win. And that's why I think they're going to end up winning this. I think that in a rivalry game like this, where it's been pretty even, they have no pressure whatsoever. I think they're going to go out and win it by probably a mid to low scoring game, but I think they're going to probably play the best game they played all year. They have a great coach in John Harbaugh. So I, 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 it's a risky pick, but I think they're going to find a way to get it done. That would be pretty incredible right there. Um, but, you know, is Chase McSorley going to lead him to a victory? We'll have to see. Chase McSorley, baby. <laughs> um, <laughs> other than that, we're going to head over to the MLB. All right. MLB section. Um, not too much to talk about. Some little things. First off, we'll start with the actual – free agent signings. So Charlie Morton and the Braves signed a one year, $15 million deal. That was probably a couple of days after we recorded the last podcast. I'm um, going through his stats. Actually, before that, what I kind of want to th- say about Charlie Morton is I know he had his good years, but he's also had a lot of bad years. Um, I mean, 2020, it's hard to really peg anyone on 2020 because it's such a different season, but his ERA is 474. Um, two and two win loss whip of 1.395, not great stats at all. Um, I mean, he's very effective in the playoffs and that's probably why the Braves signed him because obviously they're a playoff team. Um, but a lot of people I feel are, might be blowing it a little out of proportion. Like the Braves just added another great arm. I mean, in my opinion, he's similar to Michael Walker and Rick Porcello, which the Mets signed last season. Um, I think that he's someone that could definitely prove a lot. And that was what Michael Walker and Rick Porcello were. But there's also that so- that possibility that he could have another season like he did in 2020. Um, and he's also, I think, 37, 38-ish, something around there. So definitely old. That's why he's a one-year contract. But then again, the Braves have been known for these one-year deals that seem to always work out for them. Um, I mean, the best example is Marcelo Zuna, who had – no, Marcelo Zuna and Josh Donaldson, two one-year deals that worked out extremely well for them. Um, these are like, I guess you could call them like experiment deals, um, players that had a rough season before, and then you sign them for one year for them to prove it. And it's okay. Prove it deal is probably a better term for it. Um, and Marcelo Zuna proved it. Josh Donaldson proved it. Another example is Travis Darno. They signed him for more than they signed him for two years, but he had an outstanding season last year too. So maybe they get lucky again with Charlie Morton, but, um, I don't think obviously Trevor Bauer is on a whole different level, but if you're looking at similar pitchers to Charlie Morton, I'm, I'd probably rather have someone like Masahiro Tanaka, um, Odorizzi, someone like that. I don't know. I just, Charlie Morton, he has, he's had two good seasons, but then his other, his rest of his career, his career average ERA is 408. 
So nothing great. Um, so if you're a Braves fan, there's a possibility for good things. If you're not, I wouldn't be too worried that your team didn't end up with Charlie Morton. Um, the next thing, which actually happened just before this podcast, um, Trevor May and the Mets signed a two-year deal. Trevor May, um, if you're a baseball fan, um, is a solid reliever. Uh, 3.86 ERA has had, um, I want to see what his career before this was, which I forgot to do. Uh, give me one second. If you're a baseball fan, you know him for his pitching. If you're a Fortnite fan, he does stream Fortnite. I When I used to watch Fortnite, I remember seeing his name come up a lot. But um, so, yes, in 2020, 3.86 ERA. His pat, so he's 30 years old. He came up with the Twins when he was 24 and 2014. And his first three years, 2014 to 2016, um, he was his best year was a four ERA, and his other years were 5.27, 7.88. Um, so not good those years, but he seems to have turned it around from 2018 on, where he's had a sub four ERA every season. His best year in 2019 with a 2.94 ERA. Um, I think he had some crazy, what was it? Four, I think it's 14.99 strikeouts per nine innings. Um, should be like right here. Strikeout per nine, 14.7. So he's, he's a hardball, he's a hardball, uh, hard pitching reliever. The Mets need as many relievers as possible. Any team needs any, as many relievers as possible. But I guess the significance is it's the first signing in the Steve Cohen era. So I think it got off to a good start. Hoping for a lot more, though. Maybe another Trevor to come uh, the Mets way. <clears throat> Trevor Bauer. Um, that'd be great. And then going off of that, those are really the only signings that happened. The offseason is kind of starting off a little slow, but hopefully it picks up and all of baseball is starting off slow. So next up, it, the story, a story came out that the Phillies had lost $2 billion in last season. $2 billion. I, I, I heard it from my brother. That's like $2 billion. And he said, yeah. And the reports were all saying $2 billion. Um, but then it came out that they rescinded that. I don't know how such a number comes out. And it's actually, after doing some math, it's like $145 million, which is still a lot of money. Um, I'm sure that's probably around where most teams lost in uh, the season because of COVID. Um, and that kind of, you would think, maybe takes them out of the running for JT Realmuto. Obviously, when it was $2 billion, it totally took them out. But $145 million is still a lot. And JT Real Muto is asking for a lot of money. And what kind of hurts most owners is that they had the season that they had last season. But there's someone called Steve Cohen um, who didn't get hurt last season and probably made money off of what happened last year. So JT Real Muto probably out of the Phillies, out for the Phillies, unless they put all their focus on signing him. Um, so we'll see about that. But in terms of JT Real Muto, it seems like um, – the Phillies are out and it might be down to Mets, Blue Jays. Um, there's a lot of teams still in the mix, but definitely something to keep an eye on that he might not be a Philly and they might be other running. The last thing I want to talk about is the George Springer sweepstakes. There's been a lot of talks between George Springer and the Blue Jays. Um, so it seems like he's in deep talks with the Blue Jays and the Mets are still making a strong push for him. So I'd say the George Springer sweepstakes are really between the Mets and the Blue Jays. Um, I would very much as a Mets fan want George Springer, but I'm not going to talk too much about the Mets. If you want to listen to a Mets podcast, there's a Met Universe podcast called Uncle Stevie's Nephews. You can go um, listen to. 
I think that's about all I want to say for the baseball section. I'm going to hand it over to Ian for basketball. Yeah. So in the NBA world, it's it's been you know the storm passed, and now we're kind of in this recouping stage of of seeing where everything landed. You know, like it, it reminded me of when a tornado tears through a town, and for a while everything's up in the air. And then once a tornado passes, you know, you kind of assess the wreckage. And with the calendars now turning to December, what that means is NBA training camps. And it's been a bit unconventional, uh, obviously a shortened training camp. And with the season starting soon, December 22nd, things will look a bit different. Um, the NBA released the preseason schedules and some teams are playing three, some teams are playing four preseason games. But a lot of that stuff is for the teams that haven't played since March. So I'm talking the Cavaliers of the world, the Hawks of the world, a lot of a lot of these bottom dwelling teams that didn't get a chance to head into the bubble and things could look a bit different for them. Um, the Hawks made a lot of offseason moves in terms of roster acquisitions because Trey Young was complaining about needing more help. Um, and so with the advent of training camp and with the season right around the corner, uh, I, I wanted to talk about some of the teams that I feel are in a prime position to make that jump forward, um, specifically two teams, one being in the East and one being in the West. So my East Coast team that I feel is, is really primed to take a step forward is the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, again, I spoke on them briefly about the offseason moves they made. They added shooters. They added Danilo Gallinari. And, and they, they have a lot of weapons around Trey Young. And the question now stands with them bringing in Rondo and them uh, bringing in Chris Dunn, two more defensive-oriented guards to help Trey Young, is what does that backcourt look like? I, I think a Chris Dunn-Trey Young backcourt could be appealing, but they did give Rondo $15 million coming in. And so to, if, if the Hawks aim to be good, you have to pair Trey Young with a great defender. And so I'll be interested to see exactly how they construct their starting five and what comes out of this training camp and, and who exactly will be playing crunch time minutes for the Hawks as they look to finally play some winning basketball after tearing down the Al Horford, Paul Millsap, Drew Holiday Hawks teams. Um, so my West Coast team that I believe could take a step forward, you know, the popular opinion has been the Phoenix Suns. And so I, I don't really consider that a team that could take a step forward. Uh, the team that I believe will take that step forward is the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, John ja, ja Morant, uh, I know earlier in the podcast, I talked about athletes that tweet a lot instead of actually working, one being Baker Mayfield. But John ja Morant tweeted out about how he's excited for year two and getting to work. And, and the thing is, you know, I covered some of John Morant when, as a, you know, school reporter, student newspaper for the Belmont Vision. Belmont plays Murray State. And I saw a lot of John Morant up close with my own eyes. And, and that guy, he, he's different. He works hard. And, and he, he means what he says and does what he says. And that's very rare to see with athletes. I think he has a love for the game that is unadulterated. And, and I think that behind his play, I think he's going to take a step forward and really be a, a primary, not only just a primary playmaker, but a, a primary star for the Memphis Grizzlies. And then the second guy on that team that I think will take a step forward is Triple J, Jaron Jackson Jr. He had a knee surgery and, you know, things didn't look quite right. And, and everybody was worried about what exactly will the Grizzlies get out of him this season. But I think that with this time off and the Grizzlies played in the play-in game in the bubble, but with this time off, 
I think that he's gotten his mind right and his body right. And I think the Memphis Grizzlies will really take a step forward and be a very competitive basketball club in the Western Conference. And so with training camp in mind and the season right around the corner, keep those two teams in mind because those are two teams that I'll be watching closely on League Pass. Um, going off of that, I just wanted to say I do definitely do like those picks. Um, on the Atlanta Hawks side of things, I think everyone you mentioned, I think Rondo and Dunn definitely make a nice, uh, you know, guards trio right there. Um, a lot of potential there. But then also on the big side of things, um, Collins, Capella, and now you have a Kungwu that they just drafted. Um, a lot of potential there as well. And then Ganari, I think it can really uh, be a nice shooter too. A lot of potential there. And, and as you spoke about John Moran, I definitely agree with that. You know, watching him at Murray State, especially uh, throughout the March Madness tournament before he got drafted, um, and throughout his first season in the NBA, his his athleticism, his fluidity, his love for the game, everything about him just screams superstar for me. Like he is the future of the NBA. Like right now, I do feel that John Morant. If I had to pick a player that was going to be the next LeBron James, I'd go John Morant over Zion Williamson. Just basically off everything we've seen of, of John Morant. Again, his fluidity, his athleticism, just everything about him screams superstar to me. Um, we haven't seen enough of, of Zion, obviously. Um, so, I, I, again, John Morant and the Memphis Grizzlies, at least, I really do like that pick, too. Yeah, and you spoke about Zion. I saw a worrying or a really troubling report um, in, in an ESPN article. I forget the writer off the top of my head, but basically the writer quoted David Griffin, Griffin in saying that Zion still is not 100% and ready to play. And in my mind, I'm like, you know, he got hurt around, you know, preseason time last year. And then he's still not really ready to go 100%. Like, I don't understand what's going on in the New Orleans camp. And I'm scared that what we're going to get is this shelled version of Zion that is far from what we saw at Duke. And we kind of saw that in the NBA bubble where he just kind of looked slow and athletic and frankly out of shape. And if it's been a full calendar year since you tore your meniscus and you're still not where you were, that's a bit troubling. Um, that meniscus injury, I, I had a similar injury to Zion and, and uh, I play a lot of basketball and it took me around four months to get to, you know, where I felt that I was again. And so he's an athlete. He's a professional athlete. I'm just an amateur athlete. And so that's what's troubling is that if I was able to attack my rehab and in four months really get back what I felt that I lost, what is up with Zion that he does not feel 100% yet. Yeah, I, again, I definitely questioning what's his stability over the NBA. And that's definitely one of the concerns of him coming in. Um, with that being said, I also did want to touch on the Houston Rockets, obviously me being a huge Houston Rockets fan. Um, you know, it's been, it's been pretty credible offseason, lots of highs and lows. Um, just want to talk a little bit about where they are now. You know, after the, all the trade rumors came in, at uh, the beginning of the offseason, you know, we kind of see them trickle down. They're not really there anymore. Um, I think potentially that both Westbrook and Harden are both happy in Houston right now. Um, not, you know, not extremely happy, not perfect, uh, but they're satisfied. I think the Rockets definitely took a lot of good steps in the offseason. They let Austin Rivers go, which I was a little bit upset about, but I think um, saves the room in the contract. But I think they really addressed the issue from last season with that small ball uh, down, the, down the stretch really doesn't work. Um, you know, it's good if you can, can, can be really consistent, but that you have to be super, super consistent on offense for it to work. Uh, you really have to be able to outscore other teams. Otherwise, you're going to struggle. And I think they really dressed up this offseason. You picked up DeMarcus Cousins, who has been 
was a really good, I think, good gamble for the, the Rockets on a one-year deal. Um, if he plays anything like he he can live up to, he's going to be pretty solid. Um, and then, obviously, Christian Wood, as I said last week, uh, I think he's one of the best center prospects, uh, early young centers in the league. Um, can shoot the three ball, really athletic. Uh, is really going to be really nice with the pick and roll. Um, with Harden, I think he's going to be even better with the pick and roll than we saw Harden and Capella do. Um, I think he has a sort of that that finishing ability. I think he's got a better finishing ability, honestly, than Capella. Maybe not this. I don't think he's quite there with the rebounding, but I do think he's got a better ability to finish inside than Capella. And the fact that he can shoot the three, uh, he can work some pick and pop, pick and fades, um, not just pick and roll. Uh, so I think it's going to be really interesting season. I think a lot of people are counting the Rockets out, but I don't think their chemistry is really gone. Again, I think some of the media hyped up that story more than it was, and I think their chemistry is not as bad as people are saying. With the acquisitions that they got over this offseason, I think people, a lot of people are counting them out, and I think they might have a really solid season coming forward. Okay. Um, going into the next thing, which is boxing, and I actually have some stuff to say. If you've listened to this podcast for a while now, you know I'm mainly uh, basketball and baseball focused. Um, but I watched the Jake Paul and Nate Robinson fight. Didn't watch Mike. I actually watched Mike Tyson and Roy Jones for a little bit, um, but it really didn't turn into anything. But in terms of Jake Paul and Nate Robinson, that was pretty fun to watch. I don't know any of the technical words for boxing, but Jake Paul absolutely demolished Nate Robinson. I mean, you've probably seen all over the internet what happened, but I've. This might be my. Um, lack of watching boxing but when i saw nate robinson lying on the on the um on the floor i actually thought there might be something serious wrong or he might be dead um and i was a little bit concerned um but i i mean i don't watch boxing that often so i can't i can't say that it is any different than when anyone else gets ko'd or knocked out um but it was a bit scary but jay paul um honestly put himself into higher standing I'm sure for a lot of boxing fans out there um, with what he was able to do and what he's been able to do in his past fights I haven't watched his past fights his past fights but he is I think two and0 professionally and I guess three and0 not professionally um, so yeah those are my comments about it um yeah just going over what Brian said um I think the best way to put this fight and Snoop Dogg said it during the fight um I think it really it sums up everything perfectly when you box, you fight, you don't, you don't play boxing. You don't, you don't you play, you play a game. Mm-hmm. You don't play boxing. Um, and, and Nate Robinson essentially came into the game playing boxing. You know, he came in um, years worth of training. Uh, not enough compared to Jake Paul uh, came out swinging really aggressive. Um, kind of was throwing haymakers out the gate. Uh, and, you know, Jake Paul with his, him being two years into his training in boxing. Well, I think Jake Paul is, in my opinion, the best boxer we've seen become like, out of this whole celebrity boxing thing, yeah. Paul is really the only one with any skill or talent. Um, he's been, he's really dedicated at his craft. And I think Jay Paul does have a possible future in, in the sport of boxing as a, as a real professional boxer. And when I say that people are like, Oh, well, he wouldn't survive against a real boxer," I'm like, yeah, obviously right now he wouldn't, he has a long, long way to go. If he's going yeah, to be so 23 though. So yeah, it's time he was to go against. I, I don't know. What exact weight? I think Jake Paul would technically be the heavyweight weight class. He was to go against somebody like uh, I can't even think of the names uh, Wilder or Fury or any of those people. 
Andy Ruiz and to Joshua, he'd get absolutely destroyed, no doubt. Um, but again, I think he does have somewhat of a future. We saw him absolutely obliterate um, Nate Robinson, play really defensive, uh, was really good with his counter punches, and you know had a nice couple counter punches at the end of the second uh, during the second round, and got a nice hook shot off on Nate Robinson, putting him out with a TKO. Um, obviously, I'm a kind of a casual boxing fan. I've learned more and more about the sport. I really like boxing in terms of um, I think it's like it, it's it's one of the few fighting sports that I actually like because I think a lot of them are just kind of overly aggressive. Like, I think um, MMA is just kind of a bloodbath, and people love that. I'm just more of a guy that's like, okay, like, I like that they can fight, but I like that it's a little more organized in terms of, like, it's a point system. We're not just going for the kill here. Um, and then Tops, and then going over to the uh, Mike Tyson fight with, with uh, Roy Jones, uh, that was a really excellent fight for them, both being above 50 years old. Uh, really, really entertaining. Um, both of them showing why they were greats during their era. You know, you have Mike Tyson, who was the greatest possibly pound-for-pound pound fighter I've ever seen. Um, you know, absolute powerhouse. Um, overcame, you know, that, that height disadvantage that he has to – and just pure power puncher, right? This man, um, out of his – I think he had 69 professional debuts. I think he had 44 knockouts. I think he went 69. I, I can't remember his exact – um, record off the top of my head, but I think he had 44. Again, ton of knockouts, mostly knockouts. Nobody really has had the knockouts that Mike Tyson had. I think Mike Tyson is the best best offensive boxer we've ever seen. And then you have Roy Jones, who's probably the best overall boxer we've ever seen. You know, his style was very athletic, quick, you know, really working the point system, uh, getting his KOs here and there. Um, obviously, that, that's not going to work as well when you're old, older and you don't really have the athleticism that you once had. Um, but Mike Tyson, you know, still having somewhat of a, a power in his punch. Um, you know, nothing really came of the fight. Uh, they declared it a draw, even though I, I do believe that Mike Tyson won. Uh, but again, really good to see, A, um, both of them back in action, such great fighters. Um, and then B, I think it's a testament to the sports as, as a whole, that even in your 50s, um, it's you know, if you love your sport, you don't have to give up on it. Um, you know, we've got we're such older and older players. We Between Tom Brady, uh, Mike Tyson coming back for this fight, you know, just, you know, old age doesn't define you. And I think that's something that Mike Tyson helped prove here, as well as Roy Jones. Uh, pretty incredible stuff there. And in terms of Snoop Dogg commentating, they need to get him more uh, on some more sports because he was he's very entertaining when he commentates things. <laughs> yes, I did want, I did want to say that. I did want to say that. Um, he had, he, I've heard him comment, commentate on other things. I don't know specifically what, but like, his, uh, his uh, nonchalantness about things is very fun to listen to. Um, with that being said, the last thing I wanted to touch upon was that football players right around the corner. On um, our rankings right now, we have Alabama 1, Notre Dame 2, Ohio State 3, Clemson 4, Texas A&M 5, Florida 6. Um, my opinion is kind of in between those teams unless one of those teams blows it. Um, Notre Dame or Clemson are, is, is going to make the playoffs. Clemson will probably make it regardless, even if they lose to Notre Dame. It really depends on who's going to win uh, their conference. It's going to be a really good game between Notre Dame and Clemson. That's all i got to say there. Um, and then the basketball side of things, we had basketball startup, um, Gonzaga, Baylor, really the one and two, not even close. And then we had a couple upsets throughout the week. Um, so Kansas get upset. My uh, Villanova Wildcats, unfortunately, get upset by Virginia Tech. Very, very angry about that game, to say the least. And we also saw Virginia at number four get uh, upset, and they all fall. Uh, Duke, Kansas was at six. They only moved to seven. Um, Villanova was at three. They're now at 12. And then Virginia Tech was at four. They're at 15. Um, so it was pretty big upsets right there. Should have been plenty more. Uh, COVID's kind of crazy. That being said, the caps off our podcast. Um, in terms of my final thoughts, 
I don't really have much. Uh, just a lot of a lot of news, a lot of various news, really interesting stuff here. Um, if you guys have any comments, questions, concerns, feel free to leave them on my email at nicholaswarmer10 at yahoo.com. Um, you know, Ian and Max had a dip out, so you're not going to hear their voices at the end here. Uh, but, you know, really good podcast. Um, hope you guys enjoyed it. I'm going to hand over to Brian. See you guys next week. All right. Um, so, yes, that ends our podcast. Do I have any final thoughts? No, not really. Um, we'll be back next week with another podcast. Let us know what you thought of this. Uh, if you have any comments, um, check out the videos on YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, articles on the website, things like that. Um, if you have any interest writing for us, editing videos, any way you think could help, contact the sport, universe 2019 at gmail.com. Other than that, thanks for listening.